Maybe. Yes, sir! Welcome, everyone, to the You're Still Out Golf Podcast, part of the Sports Pros Network, where we're always talking sports, so let's start the conversation. I'm your host, Keith Dean, and I'm joined here in studio by my co-host and resident golf sickos, Mr. Jonathan Teal and Mr. Scooter Gerse, just off stage, or just off pod, I guess, to the right here, but Scoot's in the office, right? Say, say hi, Scoots. What's up, everybody? You can hear him. He's here. Mr. Teal, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Excited uh, to be dropping yet another great interview pod, which we're yeah, going to get to. stuff. Here shortly, um, frankly, from somebody who is um, a bit off the radar, but nonetheless, I think kind of an Oklahoma golf legend based on what he's been able to put together over the last 30 years in the golf media space. But before we get there, as always, I want to show some love to our primary sponsor. That would obviously be Chalk. Luxury Sports Bar. Chalk Luxury Sports Bar. Ladies and gentlemen, no better place to get your sports fix than Chalk, right? Uh, they're up there at Chisholm Creek Plaza, 1324 West Memorial Road. Uh, you can follow them on the web at chalkokc.com or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at chalkokc. Uh, one of the best times of the year, right? So baseball has just concluded, so so that's over with now. We turn the page. We get the, we get the World Cup. Kicking off here in just under a week, I guess, or just over a week, give or take. We do have Bedlam um, this weekend. Bedlam's going to be coming up, so uh, just one of the best stretches of sports that you can possibly think of. Uh, no better place than to catch all your sports action than Chalk Luxury Sports Bar. Always the favorite. That is Chalk Luxury Sports Bar. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today we have owner and publisher of Golf Oklahoma Magazine, Ken McLeod, as a guest on the pod. Got to sit down with Ken and talk really all things Oklahoma golf, including uh, the 30-year history of Golf Oklahoma Yeah, that magazine. makes he's a golf OG whenever it comes to Oklahoma. You and I have been doing this for, what, roughly two and a half years sure. now, guys? So, Scooter, obviously, you, you you came in as well. I think every meaningful golf event that we've been to here in the state of Oklahoma, Ken's been there. Absolutely. Undoubtedly, you'd, you've seen Golf Oklahoma Magazine at your local course. They tend to kind of drop a stack of those at uh, every golf course, Oklahoma City and Tulsa and otherwise. I think it has over 5,000 subscribers. You can actually have that. Uh, sent directly to your home. But uh, Ken, just a wealth of information on Oklahoma golf. And yes, you're right, um, is literally covering the state, everything from high school up to uh, obviously the PGA Championship this past year. We get into PGA Championship memories. We get into the history of golf, Oklahoma Magazine, among a sundry of other topics. Really enjoyed the sit down with Ken. And uh, we'll go ahead and get to that interview. All right, Ken. So, where do we find you in the wonderful, uh, wonderful world of golf today? Where, where, where are you at? I am in my office in Tulsa, across the street from Southern Hills. Very That's nice, easy landmark. Everybody knows where that is. Yeah, now everybody knows exactly where you're at. They, they could find you if they needed to, uh, especially after this May, which we're going to get to that. But um, thanks so much for coming on. I want to dive right in? You know, uh, as the as the publisher of golf. Golf Oklahoma Magazine um, 2022, I believe, marks the 30th anniversary of the publication. And so uh, I know I'm curious, kind of take us back to why you decided to start it, kind of how you got it off the ground, and then, you know, how, how has it evolved over the years? Sure. Well, I was a uh, sports writer at the Tulsa Tribune, which was the afternoon paper here in Tulsa. And it was um, 
actually bought out and shut down by the Tulsa World's Morning Paper, the Tulsa World, I'm sorry, the Morning Paper. And so in 1991, we pretty much knew we were going to be out of jobs by 92. And I was the uh, University of Tulsa beat writer, football, basketball, golf, every sport. And then also had the golf beat in the summertime, which was, you know, at that time, papers were you know, Mac Bentley with the Oklahoma and Dan O'Kane and Clay Henry before him with the Tulsa World. Myself, we were all good friends, but also good competitors. And even on the summer golf beat, you know, we'd go out to all the OGA events, whether across the state, wherever they were, and cover everything related to golf. And I started thinking that, you know, there's a, so many avenues to this game from the playing competitive standpoint to the equipment, the apparel, the courses. Um, you know, if you go to the PGA show in Orlando, you can walk for miles uh, of boosts <laughs> related to golf. They really have nothing to do even with the parts of golf that I enjoy covering, which is the competition, uh, the course news, the architecture, the superintendent side of it and the professional side of it. So, you know, there, it seemed to me that there was an opportunity there to really expand uh, our coverage as a state of golf and all the young guys that were coming up. And so I borrowed some money from a couple of folks I know, including Jink Jones, who was the um, uh, publisher of the Tulsa Tribune, longtime publisher. His family owned the paper for decades, going back to the 30s. And then from Jim Hayes, who was a prominent uh, Tulsa businessman and a great uh, competitor himself, former OSU baseball player and one of the top amateur golfers in the Oklahoma Golf Association. So they believed that, that in the same kind of vision that I did, that it would be a worthwhile venture. And, and so we started it the next year and been doing it ever since. Well, ever since covers a lot of ground. Obviously, we're kind of calling this podcast uh, kind of a state of Oklahoma golf, state of the union, perhaps on, in the golf front here in Oklahoma. I'm kind of curious, what's the biggest, uh, maybe there's a few, but what's the biggest difference in the kind of Oklahoma golf scene or the Oklahoma golfer now versus when you started the magazine, you know, 30 years ago? Yeah, we actually started as South Central Golf, which was a official publication of the South Central section of the PGA, uh, which includes all of Oklahoma, all of Kansas, I'm sorry, all of Arkansas, and the southern half of Kansas. We were a two-and-a-half state magazine at that time. Obviously, there was no cell phones, there was no internet, there was no email, <laughs> there was no, you know, a lot of things we take for granted. Oh, today. yeah. Everything was communication by phone or fax, and, and we had all the equipment in our office to do production and uh, graphic, you know, design, and it was just a totally different kind of situation than what you have today when, you know, basically we have two full-time employees here who can put out a, hopefully a quality magazine, you know, from start to finish and only need to involve a printer at the end. Um, it was much more cumbersome and slower back then, um, but, you know, it was a lot of the same things that get you uh, results today, which is, you know, being able to stick to it, being willing to go the extra mile to uh, meet and, and develop contacts and to bring them along and have them believe in the product and be willing to advertise with you. I mean, that's kind of the, um, I guess when we started, you know, I was only doing the editorial. We had an advertising staff, uh, so to speak. And then we had a design and production staff. Um, quickly figured out that just a few of us, we had a business manager, you know, I didn't know anything about business. I'd coming out of the newspapers for 
previous 12 years. So, okay. I learned a lot in those first few years and learned, you know, we could, uh, less is more sometimes. So we paired some, some things back to be more financially successful. And the same thing with the uh, editorial focus of the magazine, rather than doing two and a half states, you know, which we did for quite a few years, we paired it back to just Oklahoma and became a much bigger, healthier, more successful magazine by narrowing our editorial focus to something that all of our readers could grasp and understand. Two and a half states, you know, South Central Section is an arbitrary uh, geographical entity designated by the PGA of America because it divides the country up into 41 sections and doesn't mean anything to the average person. So we were trying to cover events in Wichita, Little Rock, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, and then all the other towns in between. And that's a poor vehicle for advertising, really, because um, right. the only people who would want to advertise in that would be people from outside. You know, it's why we had a lot of um, destination advertising back then. Because if you're a bank in Tulsa or you have branches in, in Oklahoma City, even you don't really want to advertise to Wichita and Little Rock. Right. So, but there's plenty of businesses that are just more Oklahoma centric. Plus, we still appeal to the, um, you know, the destinations and the, the band of dunes or the Alabamas and Mississippis. Um, you know, a lot of the regional partners that have stuck with us over these 30 years and helped us be successful. So, um, and the story of golf in Oklahoma, just waiting to be told. I mean, you know, what's happened here over this time we've been doing the magazine is fairly incredible when you look at how we've become this national uh, junior power, a collegiate power, got tons of guys playing on the Corn Ferry Tour, lots of guys on the PGA Tour. Obviously, when we started that, the Oak Tree Gang was still going strong. Okay, yeah. Most of those guys have slipped into retirement at this point. Uh, Scott Verplank still plays some, Willie Wood still plays some, Way's retired, Gill's retired, and right on down the line. So, you know, been a changing of the guard, but boy, you go out to Oak Tree now and you might see 10 or 12 PGA Tour, Corn Ferry Tour guys, or even younger guys playing with them that are coming up that are hoping to join them on tour in a few years. So we've got a ton of young talent in this state, and a lot of it comes out of the Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour that's run by Maury Rose, one of the amazing success stories in the country. And, um, you know, we can hold our own just about any state except probably Texas and California in terms of the amount of talent we're putting out. Yeah, it's really incredible that Oklahoma, given our know, population, if you will, and, and certainly maybe an outside perspective is not being a, a great place for golf, has produced so many high-level talents and um, just has such a strong golf culture and golf history. Um, is there one or two things that you kind of attribute that to? You mentioned the Oak Tree Gang um, from kind of late uh, 70s uh, lore. Um, anything else that, that you feel like you've seen um, kind of foster that or, or reinforce it, golf, uh, golf in Oklahoma being a, such, such a hotbed? Well, yeah, I mean, the Oak Tree Gang was a lot of guys that um, – the original founders of Oak Tree convinced that we're coming out of mostly OSU, but also Gil Morgan and a few others uh, to stick around. And, and, you know, when they finished their college career and that really gave Oklahoma a lot of notoriety, you know, having all those Danny Edwards, David Edwards, Gil Morgan, Bob Tway, Doug Toole, Willie Woods, Scott Verplank, you know, you're talking about seven guys that have won multiple PGA tour events. And then there was other guys uh, that stayed around too. So that, 
I brought a lot of golf notoriety to state help make Edmond, which was also a junior golf uh, hotspot, uh, thanks to Mike McGraw and the efforts of, you know, Art um, Proctor and several others. But the real uh, factor, I think, what, we, what we're seeing today was the institution of the Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour run by the OGA or under the auspices of the OGA, but um, run by Maury Rose. It's just, you know, it offered high-level competition without leaving the state, you know, but tournaments equal to basically the, those AJGA events, you know, that people travel all over the country and spend tens of thousands of dollars to compete in. Right. You could stay home, play an OJGT schedule in the fall, your high school schedule in the spring, you know, the OGA junior and other events in the summer and some go to a couple of national events and you're getting, you know, that same level of week to week competition where you can really better yourself competing. You know, if you're a Taylor Gooch and you grew up playing against Hayden Wood or, or, you know, number name 10 other guys who are now out on the PGA tour, you know, Robert Streb and, and Kevin Tway and all these kind of, players and it's still going on today you know austin eck road against wade cummins and uh, right on down the line guys are playing week to week against other guys who are going to push them to be the absolute best version of themselves and they've reached an incredible level you know gone on to be college all americans they've gone on to success on the corn ferry tour and a lot of them are out on the pga tour including austin this year as a rookie so um yeah yeah you talked about the population we're about right at four million that's not even what half of the Metroplex. Right. <laughs> so, what we're got coming out is, um, you know, it's a story that's pretty remarkable, pretty incredible. It really is. And yeah, Maury Rose is certainly somebody who flies under the radar for most golfers in Oklahoma and, uh, got to know him a little bit via his son, Dayton, who have uh, another high level player coming out of, of the yeah. state of Oklahoma. And yeah, Maury's done a great job with that. Shifting gears just a little bit, COVID golf boom is kind of something I want to talk about. I, you know, I don't think anyone saw that coming uh, in terms of golf being something that would explode um, once the pandemic kind of uh, arrived, so to speak. How do you feel that that boom, now that we're two and a half year, I guess two years removed kind of from the, the start of that boom, how do you feel like that is sustaining if it is sustaining and what are some long lasting effects of the COVID golf boom that you see, um, continuing on? Well, that's a good question. Obviously, you know, we're, uh, COVID golf boom. I'm on a committee here in Tulsa that's trying to improve the public golf courses, the long neglected public golf courses of the city owned by the city of Tulsa, which would be Paige Belcher and Mohawk park. And, you know, they have been operating at a loss or right at break even for years and years. And the first year of, of the COVID uh, city courses were able to basically put a half million dollars in profit in the bank, wow. even though they were in terrible condition. And I mean, just got awful. And so we took that money last year and working with the city and we're, this committee I'm on as with, Randy Heckenkemper, the architect, and Nick Dorcas, GM at Southern Hills, and Chad Connolly, the former city budget director. And we were able to take that money and apply it to Paige Belcher to um, you know, remove 170 trees and sod 30 acres and 
do a lot of leveling and other improvements that hadn't, you know, were badly needed and hadn't been addressed in, in 15 years. So now the course is, the, the transformation is remarkable and it's just the start. I mean, there's a lot more to do at both those courses, but, you know, early on in the, in the, in the COVID, I was talking to other regional publishers and people and everybody was shutting down, um, you know, saying they weren't going to come to the office, they weren't going to publish, they weren't going to do anything that spring. And I was like, guys, everybody I know wants to reopen the courses. That's where they work. <laughs> yeah. It was just remarkable how many people were spending all day because that's the only thing you could do was go to a golf course. And, you know, they were doing some crazy things back then, like not touching the pin and, you know, putting them. Well, I guess it wasn't crazy. I mean, people were really worried. Nobody knew what the heck was going on or how yeah, oh, yeah. bad this would be at that time. But um, you know, taking all the precautions they were taking, this was still, I mean, city golf courses were uh, public and private were some of the only things that were open within six weeks after the, after COVID, you know, really came, what was it, about March 11th when they shut down the uh, NCAA mm -hmm. tournament. Yep. And from there, we had six weeks of the public courses being closed, but other courses stayed open and they were the busiest things you'd ever seen. And then all of a sudden, uh, once people realized that was one of the few things you could do, you had all these people coming back to the game and all these people taking up the game for the first time. I saw, you know, fathers in my neighborhood teaching the kids how to play because they wanted to go do something together. We had this remarkable surge it lasted about a year and a half. Now it's leveled off a little bit. I mean, equipment manufacturers are still barely able to keep up with demand, and they were backlogged six months at one point. Yep. And and the courses, you know, if they're in good shape and charging the appropriate green fees, are as busy as they basically want to be. And um, so it's been great for golf. Brought a lot of people back to the game that it, you know, golf had gotten so overbuilt and taking such a hit in the 2008, you know, when the housing market collapsed and the economy collapsed and then, you know, Tiger era was a little bit over, um, you know, and all the courses across the country started to shut down. We lost a ton of courses here in Oklahoma. So the market correction that had been going on, <clears throat> excuse me, was that it was basically perfect timing for the people who were still standing to really benefit from the COVID golf movement from people rediscovering the game. And, you know, for myself, I've been playing steadily uh, from <laughs> for 50 years now. So there's no, uh, there's no going back and forth in my love affair with golf. So I never really understood why people have walked away from it. Uh, it's the greatest game out there that you can play, but the, uh, uh, a lot of other people rediscovered that, which I'm very glad of. Yeah, totally right. And, um, golf courses have been as busy as they want to be because of this boom. And, uh, it will be interesting to see, um, if certain courses or, or clubs do what, um, the city of Tulsa is doing and kind of reinvest those, uh, good years into, um, into projects, probably a little bit unrelated, but, um, happened during the, uh, the last couple of years of, of COVID and post COVID, um, state of Oklahoma has really, um, had some great course projects either happen or about to happen. I'd, I'd like to start with Dornick Hills country club. I, I know that you're a, 
um, having lived here for so many years, a Perry Maxwell aficionado and Dornick being the original Perry Maxwell layout. I know you've been able to see it since Tom Doak came in and did a restoration back in 2021. Uh, I'll just flat out ask you, are you a fan of the changes and give us some context around why or why not? Yeah, well, I've met Tom down here twice now, and including the, the semi-grand opening they had this spring. And I think the changes to the greens, I really like. You know, I wasn't as knowledgeable as a lot of people about Dornick Hills. I have not been there that many times, so I couldn't tell you every tree that was removed like a lot of people can. But, you know, the corridors have been definitely widened. Uh, going back to the pro shots and the and what you do on and around the greens being, uh, you know, the gist of the game down there. There's, I thought the greens, uh, when we played them, they were still keeping them real slow. They were brand new. Um, and you could see, though, that once they got fully grown in and the, and the fairways were firmed up, uh, they'd be a real challenge. And I, from what I understand, them having the Red River team challenge down there between Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour and Texas Junior Golf Tour last weekend that the um, course is in much better shape than it was last spring. So conditioning wise, it opened kind of rough. It had trouble with their mowers. They uh, were using a pull behind this spring because their main fairway mower was broken and you know how the situation is with parts and supplies. They couldn't get a new one in. Oh yeah. So I think they finally got that in. Their superintendent down there is a really sharp guy, but he was just struggling. And, you know, Dornick Hills is a club of 320 or so members who are not paying, excuse me, not paying that much to be members. So their maintenance budget is probably no larger than a normal a public course up here, if even that large. Okay. So despite it being this, uh, you know, the, the original Perry Maxwell Forest and what we consider a great country club, it makes do with less in a lot of different ways. And um, you know, one for Bruzzy Westheimer uh, down there, this project wouldn't have got done. And of course, Tom donating his work was a fabulous thing. I think the greens are going to be very entertaining, <laughs> so to speak. Um, you know, they're pretty much not um, exact replications of anything that Perry did. More so, they're just Tom Doak reimagining what Perry Maxwell would do in 2021, 2022. Uh, with that particular green setting. So, you know, they don't, even though know, Bruzzy and a lot of the other old timers gave them a lot of direction. And uh, there's a lot of probably new contours, new angles, and, you know, new facets to the greens that have never been there before. And I had a great time uh, playing it. But again, you know, having never played it back in the, the original Perry Maxwell greens, I couldn't tell you how close they are to resembling what those were, but I think when they get it in the shape they want it, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Well, having been down there a couple of times since the um, reopening uh, and most recently in October, they, they're definitely getting it dialed in and the conditions are um, are getting much, much better uh, through some of those yeah. maintenance things that they've uh, they've got corrected. Well, let's stay on the golf course projects front uh, a little bit here. What Just in general, what other uh, current or future projects are uh, – are you uh, in the know about or um, excited about coming to fruition either currently or in the near future? Well, you know, uh, Oak Tree National just reopened with all new Bermuda greens. Okay. And uh, 
So that's a big step for them to go away from bent grass and, and bring in the uh, Bermuda. Um, the uh, Midwest City, have you been to John Conrad since you reopened? I have. I have been out there a couple times. Yep. So, I mean, that's a very imaginative project that um, Randy Heckenkemper's uh, Connor, his assistant golf course architect, uh, did the greens out there. And they're going to, that's definitely going to be the calling card for John yes. Conrad going forward. They are, they are wild. They are wild. Flat pouring greens and made them wild. <laughs> yeah. This is, they're a roller coaster now. So, but, you know, I played them in their grand opening and it wasn't, they didn't have the speeds up probably more than eight or nine on the stem meter. So it wasn't like there was anything crazy going on in that regard. But I could see if you got a fall, firm fall day and got them up to 12 or 13, those things would be very dangerous. Very yeah. Slippery. I, it's, uh, but early I return, a early return, early returns are pretty polarizing right now, I think on, uh, on Conrad. So. Is that right? Is that yeah. What you're hearing? Yeah. Well, anybody ever saw what, you know, Randy did at La Fortune Park years ago. Uh, you could probably see this coming. There's a lot of movement, a lot of uh, swales out there that weren't there previously when it was a Floyd Farley course. I believe this was the same, right? It was a Floyd Farley course. I believe so. Yep. Um, so now it's um, now it's not. It's a, <laughs> a wild ride. If you enjoy, you know, uh, greens that are, you know, you might have to see your ball go several different directions on the same putt. Um, Go try John Conrad. But, you know, they were slammed upon reopening, and, and that lasted for a few months. I don't know. I haven't checked in with him for a couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, some people, you know, are going to give you the old, oh, they got everything except the clown's mouth. But, you know, right. if you're going to have a public course that's, um, you know, otherwise it's very pleasant, you know, rolling terrain and, and a good public course, but something, make something really memorable out of it. Why not try something completely different? And then it's certainly going to be a challenge every day you go out there. Yeah. That's the other big project that's just reopened. Obviously, Kicking Bird in Edmond has been closed for over a year. This massive restoration and rebuilding, reimagining. And the whole clubhouse has been changed and expanded. The driving range has been expanded. The, they've got the practice facilities with the uh, computerized um, digital additions to it and um just you know i think the um, clubhouse is now going to have a, a very you know the old grill is still going to be there but other than that they've added meeting rooms banquet rooms um i think the uh you know 22 million is the final number i've heard on that changeover and of course the rings have all been rebuilt several of the holes have been changed quite a bit um, I think one of the par fours was expanded into a par five and vice versa. So um, number nine will now be par four. Number is it ten that goes up? Um, yep, will be a par five. So can't wait to see what that's going to reopen. Uh, hopefully this spring, and it's going to be pretty exciting to see what all they've done. Absolutely, uh, Lake, our Lake Hefner in Oklahoma City has been working hard on getting Lake Heffern North and South back in shape after all the issues they've had with their irrigation systems. Um, what else is going on around the state? 
What are you Take hearing about the project? That. What are you hearing about the project uh, up at Grand Lake at Shangri La? I know that the part three oh, yeah, course is starting to come along. I'm actually going up there next week to see that, and um, it's from everything I've heard, it's absolutely fabulous. I talked to the architect Tom Clark, and you know who did most of the courses in Hot Springs Village, and he says it's probably the most one of the most fun, unique, and best projects he's ever worked on. This is a guys in his late 70s has been designing courses for 50 plus years so um, that's quite a statement any target you know, date on give, any target date on when the battlefield's gonna be open for play uh it'll they'll wait till green up in the spring they're not opening this winter so okay yeah they still got some work to do on some of the periphery areas and parking lot and cart pass and but the greens are all in and grown i guess the uh, Obviously, the surrounding turf is probably all gone dormant by now. But uh, what I understand, the um, holes out there are going to be some holes. We depend on which tee you pick. You could be hitting a driver to a sand wedge. So nice. Um, can't wait to go see it and see what it's all about next week. Yeah. And then Man. I was, you know, the other project that's new that I was not in Oklahoma, but one that will interest all Oklahoma golfers. Is last week I went down to see the new um, courses at PGA Frisco. Oh, yeah. PGA, Head, PGA of America headquarters is relocated just outside of our southern border, you know, basically less than four hours from Tulsa and less than three hours from Oklahoma City. Uh, you'll be out at this um, PGA Frisco resort with a 500-room Omni Hotel, uh, two courses, one by Gil Hans, who obviously redesigned Southern Hills before the PGA and then the other by Bo Welling, both courses will be part of the resort. They've got a lighted par three course. They've got a 30,000 square foot putting green. And wow. then they've got, you know, the 500 room resort. And then uh, they've got cabins that you can rent out as well. And then they'll have all kinds of other uh, commercial enterprises there that, you know, be fun for anybody who's going down there to stay and play. And then the PGA of America headquarters is right there on the same property. Uh, where all the young pros will come in to, uh, they've got a fantastic indoor uh, teaching center set up with bunkers and simulators, outdoor range, indoor outdoor, you know, uh, range and just all the teaching equipment you could possibly have for somebody who's coming up and learning how to be a PGA professional. So um, most yeah, of that... the guys that were have moved there, but there's still some to come, but it's, did a little tour of that building too and it's pretty pretty amazing yeah that is quite quite a development project that uh, has just opened down down in frisco um and kind of interesting really i think that it uh is breaking some molds of golf development that um have been around for a while and i'm definitely curious to get down there so that's definitely a good one that uh, you're right not in oklahoma but a lot of oklahomans will be interesting in interested in excuse me um you know oh, i yeah, think we played the uh, played the hans course and it was, it was i think the last group to play it for until it reopens next spring so that was fun but it was a beautiful day and, and you know, we were playing way up front uh, probably six thousand yards and you could you know this thing goes hundreds yards behind us on almost every tee box so <laughs> you can see it's going to be plenty of challenge for the big boys and PGA Tour guys, but they can also make it very fun for resort guests, regular hacks like me. So 
Um, it was a you know very interesting course. The terrain down there is really rolling, and, and of course, Gil does so many little things on every hole that he builds. I was playing at Southern Hills the other day in our Hall of Fame tournament, and the big uh, expression out there from the membership is, well, you just got hands, which means <laughs> you thought you hit a good shot, but now you're over and you know, it's rolled off the green or rolled into a bunker. And um, as most one Southern Hills member said, our favorite expression is that if, if Gil ever shows up here again, we're all going to punch him into you know what. <laughs> <laughs> Get him back in the hands there. Um, yeah. Well, PGA Frisco, yeah, we'll be hosting some big boys uh, at the PGA Championship here in a few years. And we had, yeah, uh, we, being o- we being Oklahoma, had our chance to shine this year's PGA being at Southern Hills. And I'm, I'm going to get to a specific question on that. But uh, kind of two more high-level events have been announced that are coming to Oklahoma. Talk us through your reaction to both the Compliance Solutions Championship on the Corn Ferry Tour. They're set up for a five-year run down at Jimmy Austin. And then uh, just announced this week, uh, the USGA four ball, uh, women's four ball coming to Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club, uh, May 2025, I believe. Uh, What's your reaction on those two announcements? Well, there was actually a mistake in that USGA announcement. said it would be the 23rd USGA event in Oklahoma, but they forgot. They've already announced the uh, 2024 women's amateur at Southern Hill. Oh, yes. Yeah, that'll be the 24th then, or 25th. But anyway, um, the Corn Ferry Tour, that's going to be so great for Oklahoma because so many guys, you know, are already out there playing on that tour that are from Oklahoma or played at OU or played at OSU, played at one of our state colleges. Um, so many guys were coming up who will want to play in that. Uh, this gentleman that's uh, you know sponsoring it from Compliance Solutions, Mr. Mark Lambert, who's an ORU grad, um, he's all in on this thing. He just really wants it to be a great event for Oklahoma. I can't imagine a better place for the Corn Ferry Tour to establish a beachhead than in Norman or somewhere in, in Oklahoma, right? Sure. Um, we've got we'll have 15 guys in that event. They either grew up here or played in the college ball golf in the state. So I think that's going to be fantastic. You know, Jimmy Austin's a great venue for it. I think the town of the city of Norman will embrace it and really support it as well as the rest of the state. Um, the two USDA events coming up, and, and as you probably know, there's going to be another one announced oh, within a year, I think, and that'll be coming in 2027. But, um, you know, both. It's good to see Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club get back in there. Yeah. You know, hasn't really had a major event with nothing much besides the state amateurs, which are great events. But, you know, this is them. They did that massive restoration they did last year with uh, Trip Davis and all new greens, did a lot of uh, tree removal out there, a lot of changes to their, um, you know, improvements on their turf grass and airflow. So, It'll be a good showcase for them. Another Perry Maxwell course. Yep. And of course, you know, the another Perry Maxwell course, Southern Hills, um, will be hosting the 2024 Women's Amateur, which will be, you know, you know, my thought about uh, women's golf is that 20 years ago, I used to uh, sponsor the LPGA event. We'd always work on a trade deal with the groups that were 
bringing it first to uh, Tulsa Country Club, then the Cedar Ridge, then over to Northwest Arkansas. I love to play in the Pro-Am because I could compare my game a lot more naturally to some of the LPGA players than I could to a PGA Tour player. Right. Uh, nowadays, I give all my uh, Pro-Am spots to the first tee of Tulsa because I don't like to get out driven by 50 yards <laughs> <laughs> by the young players out there now, but they're so good. They hit yeah. so far. Yeah, it's so, pretty in, pretty impressive. I played with in, in uh, Texas a gal named Nikki Marquette, who's a uh, former University of Tulsa player, is now working for the PGA of America and is responsible for corporate sales for the 2023 Senior PGA, which will be at PGA Frisco, their first big event. And so she played with me and a couple of my friends that they allowed me to bring down there. And she hit it 70 yards past us. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm showing how short I am, but this is, you know, I'm an average golfer, I guess you'd say. So uh, she's in the 280, easy. Um, yeah, I think well, I'm uh, in the 220. I think that. Uh, anyway, so the point being, I don't even want to think about how these junior girls would outdrive me by 50 yards, but they're um, they're quite excellent golfers now, and that event in Southern Hills will really test them and challenge them and. Um, be fun to watch it will be very fun to watch i try to tell people as much as i can um speaking to the uh if you want to have a little bit more relatable game uh watch, watch the ladies play because the uh the clubs they're hitting in the greens and the um trajectories they're hitting it um they're doing it to your point at a lot higher level than uh the rest of us are but uh it is impressive yeah. to watch the precision that um, the ladies bring to those to those events and uh yeah we're excited to excited to cover them do you uh um... yeah, the distance thing jonathan is a, is a crazy aspect of golf that people my age have a hard time relating to i played in the oklahoma golf hall of fame pro or scramble um shamble actually at southern hills on monday okay, and i've got cameron myers who you may know uh, son of ag myers out of oklahoma oak tree and he played professionally for on the mini tours for a few years and then sam humphreys who does you know the podcast is associated with our show and then um he's played at the university of tulsa and the university of missouri kansas city well then you've got ag's dad or i'm sorry um, cameron's dad ag sam's dad craig and myself who were all you know 60-ish 60 plus is and uh, you know hit it 220. Well, these guys are hitting it 130, 40, 50 yards past us on the tee shots. Right. And they're you know neither of them were good enough to make it even at the Corn Ferry Tour level. But man, just the you know I don't 30 years ago. Uh, the other three of us could have probably hit it 250, whereas now we're 220. Right. We were never thinking about hitting it 350 or 380, like these guys do. I mean, just the ability to just crush the ball, and that's that way out on the PGA Tour, obviously. You know, you've got guys who are um, Bryson DeChambeau before he went to live was drove several of those greens up 400 plus, right? Yep. I just don't. It's not the same game. I don't know how you relate to that. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. And, um, 
I could definitely lead us down all sorts of fun conversations about how we might want to look at uh, some some equipment stuff if we want to have, still have golf courses that don't need to be eight thousand yards. But uh, I won't digress us into that. Let me go. Let me go positive uh, route with you here. Give me your speaking of the PGA. Talking about being Southern Hills this past May. What what's your uh, what's your best story from PGA week? Being kind of an insider. What what was something that uh, was fun for you that week in terms of your best story from that week at Southern Hills? Well, you know, I had yeah inside the ropes pass, so I could get inside. Um, and just a couple of stories, really. You know, one uh, Tiger when he came out on Friday, I think, and a lot of people thought this is going to be the last time we get to see him play at Southern Hills, right? Because they figured he was going to miss the cut. Right. Just to see the course lined eight people deep on holes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and almost eight at the time he teed off, just waiting for a glimpse of him. Yeah. You know, you couldn't move. If you were in whatever spot you got, you better just stay there because there was no going from hole to hole because the next hole was already lined eight people deep as well. Um, and we're walking inside the ropes following him. Of course, even if, it, you know, one guy screamed at me, I've been waiting four hours to see him. You better not get in my way. Um, <laughs> you know, we're kneeling down here. Which, you know, they just, were, he was right. He was waiting four hours in one place, watch him walk past and probably wouldn't even see him hit a shot. Right. Just, that's just incredible that, you know, the, the, uh, testimony the following he had it was just the same thing the day that he came here for that practice round and we tweeted out that you know watch out for um, big cat tracks this morning and all of a sudden you know that was probably about percentage of 10,000 the most reactions I ever got to a tweet in my life so um but anyway that was a great thing to experience and then uh sneaking up and being able to watch JT hit that Shot on 17, um, you know, from the tee box, we were just standing eight or nine feet behind him. Cut three woody hit in there on the green. Yep. Basically won the tournament for him and then following those guys up 18, watching Mito uh, make a just disastrous decision there on the tee <laughs> box. And then seeing the, you know, the crowd on 18 and the, um, Nothing against Mito Pierre, but I'm glad Dustin Thomas won the event. I think it's great for the legacy of Southern Hills. Great for the PGA Championship. PGA had a great week. They love Tulsa. They'd love to come back. And Southern Hills makes up its mind that it wants another PGA and doesn't want to pursue the holy grail of the U.S. Open. And I think we'll see another one announced for the early 2030s. But See what happens in that regard. It's kind of up to just a few individuals up over there and taking direction from, I'm sure, a collective. But you know, they've always wanted to have another U.S. Open there. And obviously, the last one was 21 years ago now. So, yeah, and they're lined up for you know until I think the only realistic shot Southern Hills would have is if somehow the USDA said we'll give you one in 2036 on the 100th anniversary of the club. But, that could work. you know, they waited on the USGA before fruitlessly, so we'll see what happens. No, that was an awesome week and one that um, golfers in Oklahoma won't uh, will not soon forget. And um, 
Glad to hear you had a couple couple good memories from the week. Ken, we're going to get you out of here on a segment that we try to do with every one of our guests. We call it the uh, the short par four. Uh, we're big fans of short fours on our pod. And so we kind of string together four questions here that are, uh, we'll call it golf or golf adjacent. And so uh, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to tee us up here on the short par four. I want you to uh, tell us about your last round of golf. Yeah, my last round of golf was yesterday, actually, at Southern Hills. Okay. And, you know, we played – first time I've ever played there two days in a row <laughs> in my life. Played there Monday in our Hall of Fame tournament that I've been working on for six months. And then yesterday, a friend of mine who purchased a round at a charity event for uh, – I think Bishop Kelly had somebody had put up a round for four at Southern Hills as an auction. And so he bought it. He invited me um, last summer, actually, and said, I'm going to wait till the fall when the weather cools off and we're going to schedule this. And you have to play with the member who put it up. And he had me and one other friend out there. So just two spectacular days at Southern Hills back to back. The weather perfect. Of course, kicked my butt both times, but it's always a pleasure to play. And um, yep, Southern Hills on a Tuesday afternoon. That's my last round of golf and one I'll remember for quite a while. Love it. Love it. All right. Second shot here on the short par four. Um, give us the player out on tour. And I guess at this point, that could be whatever tour you choose, but the player out on tour that you love to root against. Well, here's a spec or an answer that probably nobody else has ever said. How about Patrick Reed? <laughs> no, it never was my favorite in the first place. Now he sued Doug Ferguson, my great friend, who's you know the longtime golf writer for the Associated Press. And this lawyer he's got just slandering every national golf writer in the country that's worth his salt and guys I've respected for years and worked with. Um, just for having the temerity to point out some of Patrick's foibles over the years, right? I'm not cheering for him anytime soon. Well, you you got me there because that is a common answer, and I thought you were going to go a different direction, so you you, you got me. Um, all right, uh, we're going birdie putt here on the short par four. You only have one round of golf left in your life. Where are you going to play with the only caveat is that you have to have previously played there? Oh, boy. Um, how about Cruden Bay on the coast of Scotland? Oh, nice pull there. Cruden Bay is, uh, yeah. is one that wonderful. I guarantee you if some folks listening to this podcast right now are going to the Google, uh, trying to figure out where Cruden Bay is at. And, uh, but I know where it's at and I've seen some video of it and that place looks amazing. So good, good call oh, there. You stand up there on top of that uh, course and you see the different holes fingering out in different directions towards the ocean and, um, just a spectacular lakes experience. I mean, I could name four or five courses from my last trip over there that would be real uh, close competitors to that. But Cruden Bay was a, maybe it was just the day that we played there and, uh, you know, perfect weather and um, just how that course suits my game a little bit and the whole Scottish experience does. But that, that'd be my choice. Oh, man. I, we're going to have to get together and specifically talk some Scottish golf. Great answer. All right. We're tapping in for par. 
on the short par four. We're going to make a movie about the golf life of Ken McLeod. I want to know what famous golfer plays you in the movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, good question. Bill Mickelson been told that by a few people over the years that I uh, have some facial resemblance. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I don't really see it, but so I guess I'll take Phil. You know, I don't agree much with what he's done over the last year, but he's been a, sort of, a lot of fun to watch over the years. Now, are you a lefty? Okay, so the question was, who plays me, and what was the second part? Well, just who who specifically, what famous golfer would would play you in that movie? I'll take Phil. Very nice, very nice. So uh, he's always entertaining. He is very entertaining. Fill fill the <laughs> fill the thrill. He would he would he would portray you well in that regard. Well, Ken, man, this has been a treat. I really do. Uh, You'd be a lot more entertaining than me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that's why you know it's uh, it's artistic liberties, right? Um, right? Man, I really appreciate you coming on. I've admired your work uh, for many years, and um, happy to get to spend some time with you. And we will absolutely do it again in the future. Well, I sure appreciate you having me on. And like I said, you know, doing this for 30 years has been a real treat and get to watch the game grow and thrive here in the state and blossom into something that, you know, I don't know how any of us really thought Oklahoma would really be at this point in time with the courses and the players that we have and the impact that we're having on a national level and international level on the game. Uh, but it's been a blast to watch and looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. Thank you. Absolutely. We appreciate the part you play and we'll catch up with you soon. Another good job job by you, buddy. I mean, you're interviewing chops or, uh, you know, you're getting up there, man. Getting there, getting there. Lots of practice, putting in the, putting the hours in the, uh, figurative weight room, uh, getting, getting dialed. He, he, uh, he got me there a couple times with his short par four, both on the the Cruden Bay. That's a deep cut off, um, off the beaten path there for and sure. And yeah. uh, he, uh, as I alluded to, he he kind of got me with his uh, rooting against. I thought he was going to go a totally off the board answer, and then he of course went Patrick Reed, like we all <laughs> expected him to. But uh, thanks to Ken for coming on. And uh, again, I think this kind of I wouldn't say it wraps up our, our month of Oklahoma golf. We have a couple of things maybe percolating for the uh, the upcoming episodes but uh kind of that one-two punch of last week's governor uh, lieutenant governor pinnell episode and um and then this week with ken i think was a nice uh you know coming into not many people remember statehood you know november 16th is uh, our state's uh, birthday is that the day i knew it was november i didn't know what the day uh, was so statehood week here wrapping up uh the state of oklahoma golf a couple pods uh, enjoyed doing them and uh, appreciate both those guys for making the time. Good job by you, buddy. Uh, we're getting close to Thanksgiving, but that doesn't mean you can't play golf. It doesn't mean you're not going to be playing golf. I know that. So, th- so throw the Twitter handle out there, man. So let's uh, let's hear it. Yeah, at YSO Golf, both on Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, local golf is not dying with the leaves. We had a great outing yesterday at uh, Lincoln Park. The Supercell crew got together, so uh, we are we are kicking into. Uh, to cool weather golf and in a strong, strong way. And we will be doing the same out on Twitter and Instagram at YSO golf. Good stuff, bud. And of course for us here at the sports pros network, you can check us out on the web at fantasysportspros.com or you can follow us on Twitter at sports underscore pros. And remember that is pros with an E P R O S E cooler temps. So get out there and enjoy the walk. Ladies and gentlemen.